Hey there, how's it going? This is Bonnie Violet. I am a trans femme, genderqueer, spiritual drag artist, and digital chaplain. And in case you don't know where you are, you have found yourself on the Dragon Spirituality Podcast and in our special series uh, dedicated to our time at the Dragon Spirituality Summit that took place in Chicago in October of 2022. Um, The next few episodes will be panel discussions that we had with drag artists from across the United States, Canada, and beyond. And we wanted to, uh, we just wanted to share the audio with folks who are interested in drag and spirituality. So um, stay tuned and uh, listen up uh, and uh, bear with the sound. Um, My hope is that we'll work on it being great, but you know, you know how that goes sometimes. So um, we did our best to try to capture some sound for our first ever Dragon Spirituality Summit um, in the hopes of being able to upload it here on a podcast for folks who couldn't be there in person. Thank you and enjoy. Uh, my name is John. Uh, I am a chaplain uh, with the San Francisco Night Ministry. Uh, and my pronouns are he, him, his, with a Y. Uh, holding space for queerness, not just because I like to sing those good old church songs. Um, and uh, welcome to all of our panelists here and online, Rebel and Diana and Mark, uh, and maybe so week later if she's able to join us. She uh, stuck at the airport dealing with luggage. We all been there. Very queer sensation. Uh, we're familiar with those things too. Uh, as we gather back together. I want to acknowledge that as we gather in Chicago, we are on the lands of the three fire peoples, the Ojibwe, the Adawa, and the Boyawadami. Uh, and this was also an area of trade, gathering, and healing for more than a dozen other native tribes. Today, Chicagoland includes one of the largest and most diverse urban native communities. Native peoples are here. They are alive. They continue a tradition. And may we walk together respectfully in community. So also uh, to acknowledge that this is a conversation that might uh, bring up some uncomfortable and difficult feelings. Uh, For those of us who have experienced such things as spiritual and religious trauma and abuse, uh, and other topics that uh, might have injured us as uh, queer folk. And so, uh, as a moment, let's all just take a breath and ground ourselves, whether we're here in the room or uh, watching online. This is an invitation to take care of ourselves and feel where we are in this moment for all that these conversations stir in us. Spiritual care team members are here today. Uh, Bridget, here in the room, in the blue, who's just raised her hand, uh, and Mark outside. Uh, if you do need to talk to someone uh, based on anything in this panel or another panel, or you just want to check in, have a non-sectarian or other type of blessing or prayer or a tarot reading tonight when our tarot readers are back, uh, you are welcome to participate uh, in your own spiritual care by seeking out those identified who have given their time and energies to that cause. 
As I said, I work with the San Francisco Night Ministry, and I am a chaplain. Uh, I say that the streets have ordained me, even if the church is not quite yet. It's been a long path. Uh, I am a uh, prodigal seminarian and promiscuous, uh, denominationally uh, uh, explorative worshiper. Uh, and like many of us, as we have heard, uh, drag folk, right? Drag folk are the priests of our community. I appreciated that being brought back uh, in, uh, as a review of our previous panel. Uh, we are officially, unofficially, uh, formally and informally grassroots spiritual practitioners. We're uh, GSPs. So you can add that to your business cards. Okay, you're a GSP, a grassroots spiritual practitioner. Uh, that's a degree the community gives you. Uh, welcome again to our panel. Uh, I would love it if each of you might share briefly uh, a little bit about yourselves uh, and your context uh, and how you have worked uh, with uh, the drag and uh, gender expansive communities. And I'll start with Rebel here in the room. Hello. Uh, yeah, my name is Fadi Rumble. Uh, we live from Romanelle's Green Bay in Flux. And uh, I am a collective of molecules and biotics and cells, the dreams of my ancestors, the future wishes of my descendants, and uh, so many other things. Uh, I work as a deaf and grief doula, uh, as well as a massage therapist. And uh, well, I just I just dabble my way into all sorts of silly little activities in the community. Um, mm, thank you. Yes, dabbling on the way. Yes, just building up the gorgeousness of uh, who you are. Probably. Thank you. Uh, and Diana. Might uh, you share a bit about your working context? Hi, I'm Diana. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. And uh, I'm a deacon in the Episcopal Church. And I'm here in the Diocese of uh, California, which is based in San Francisco. Um, I got to know John uh, when I became a Knight Ministry Fellow in 2008. And um, that's mostly where my um, deep experience of uh, uh, pastoral care and relationship with drag artists um, really blossomed. Um, and been doing it for a little bit of time, I, 2008, a little bit before that in my parish when I was a parish deacon and uh, before, um, yeah, before I started street ministry, my day job, I have a day job. Deacons have to have a day job. They're not pay usually paid for uh, ministry in the Episcopal Church. Um, I'm an early childhood educator and I work a lot uh, with training teachers at this point in my life. And I um, work a lot with parents uh, especially, uh, a special gift is working with 
parents who have gender expansive children and helping teachers um, interact and be good supports for these families. Sure. Good afternoon. At least on the East Coast, it's afternoon. And it's good to be with you all. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I'm Pastor Mark Erson. I'm a pastor in the Lutheran Church, and my pronouns are he, him. And um, probably best to talk about my previous context because I have recently moved. Um, but I was serving as pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church on Christopher Street in Manhattan. Uh, my colleagues got tired of me saying I, it was a stone's throw from the stone wall. We were just on the other side of 7th Avenue. And um, I went there uh, in 2011. Congregation was really struggling. They had just gone through some very traumatic experiences, and there was uh, next to nothing. It was truly a, a blank slate that I had to work with. And um, I started having uh, requests from from the neighborhood, from folks in the neighborhood. And uh, one performer in particular wanted to do what um, she referred to as trans fashion shows. And I said, great, because at that point, I just wanted to get people in the door in some way or another. Um, and after seeing it, um, one of the nights, um, one of the performers came up to me afterwards and said, you have no idea how important it was that this happened here. And I was like, oh, great. Yeah, 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 great. And uh, thankfully, they wouldn't let me just uh, brush it off. And they said again, no, you have no idea how important this was that it happened here, that it happened in the sanctuary. And uh, from there, I got the idea that we would have um, a, a lip sync evening of using gospel music rather than just uh, pop music. And what transpired over the next years was one of the most organic experiences I've ever had. And long story short, uh, maybe that's too late, but um, what it became was a ministry to the ballroom community and uh, had wonderful interactions with various houses of the ballroom community. And we would have monthly uh, services. I started calling them gospel night because of the kind of music we were using. But then it turned into uh, somebody named it Inspirational Gospel Showcase and it became a wonderful mix of um, uh, ballroom-type performances mixed in with a little bit of liturgy and a little bit of preaching here and there. And we ended up developing quite a loyal congregation that would gather uh, each month and uh, had a wonderful crew of people who all were connected uh, with the ballroom community and they would plan it and, and provide all the support necessary for it to happen. And I'm glad to say that uh, I've left St. John's this past summer, but I'm really glad to see that the ministry is continuing. Um, and just a side note, um, we also became sort of the unofficial memorial chapel uh, because so many people, uh, when they were looking to have a memorial event for one who had departed, um, 
they wanted to have a place where they could have an authentic celebration of that person's life, which wasn't always possible uh, with the, the families of, of the person who had passed. So it was um, quite a growing experience. It, it, it taught me so much because I had so little experience with the community that I was now ministering to, and they, they just taught me and blessed me in so many ways. I, I appreciate how what you shared, Mark, touches upon uh, the importance of ritual uh, and the need that we all have to engage, to ritually engage uh, spiritual practices to mark and honor uh, the ways in which we live our lives. Uh, that's one of the things, Rebel, that you have spoken with me about as uh, an important aspect of care and expression within uh, the drag community. Can you share a little bit more about the importance of ritual? So ritual in context of drag, I mean, you hear so often the process of adorning the body and having the body as the altar to step into this sense of self that you get to imagine. And there is so much play and pleasure in that imagining of self. And you step into that role in that presence. You come and perform and interact and move with spirit or the energy of the room. And then there's also this, my favorite part of what I up is the delicious unfolding of taking it all off of stripping down back to my like silly little human body and regrounding in a new context, letting it end and unfold. I appreciate the. We hear a lot about putting the orientation on. We often hear less about taking it off, and I, I appreciate how you frame it as a grounding activity one that can sort of bring us back into uh, maybe more of the everyday flows in the world uh, uh, that seem to surround us. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like now in, engage some of my own practices uh, uh, more thoughtfully as a result. Thank you. Uh, I'm wondering if our panelists might have a story, uh, something that you recall from working with the drag community uh, that may change how you offer accompaniments or care uh, in the course of uh, your work in vocation. That's for any of you that might have, said, might have a thought or story. Um, I guess I'll jump in. Um, and I remember one of the memorials, um, somebody was doing a, a tribute, a, a lip sync tribute for the person who had passed. And after the service, uh, the performer apologized for being a little too flashy with her dress and her, her, her presentation. <laughs> and I was like, 
no, don't apologize at all. I said, in fact, I think you should come to church and sit in the front row for Easter because you are you are an embodiment of of resurrection in terms of how how beautiful um, and 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 true she was to herself. And um, and and it, encounter like that and and others just um, taught me that. You know, there's so many voices that people have heard along their journey that tell them they don't belong in a faith community. They don't belong in and what they appreciate about themselves doesn't belong in that ritual setting. And so, so much of of, of my contribution to those services um, over the years was to help people um, think in new ways and hear new voices Um and hear an invitation that was, you know, radical, which is the invitation that I hear from Jesus. And so I'm just echoing that. And um, and to really make sure that that we're we are being strong voices of proclamation um, as you know, not that everybody's got all the right answers, but to but to to give them a new way of of uh, to give of hearing God's um God's uh, grace-filled invitation uh, into into living a life. Thank you, thank you, Mark. I, I appreciate your uh, ability to see invitation and permission, uh, and the encouragement of bringing full self into uh, our, our spaces of religious practice, which so often have been uninvited uh, and have been. Places of scorn and uh, ridicule. Diane, did you raise your hand? Yeah, I just um, was thinking about that. Uh, I love. I really resonated with what uh, Mark had to say about um, you know welcoming folks into the parish, uh, your parish church, with uh, for all kinds of rituals. Um, you, my experience had been. Um, that, you know, we had done a, done a lot of that over the years. And then I had a, one of my friends had come to me and said, you know, I know, I, I, you know, I know your parish church, you know, welcomes folks. You've done funerals. We've done gospel drag brunches and uh, extreme makeover drag edition, you know, so and weddings. Um, but I'm just not comfortable. And I really want you uh, to marry, to marry us. How would you feel about doing a wedding in a bar with a drag show? You know, like we do every night, right? And I said, well, certainly, of course, of course. And I said, but because of my role in the church, there's a few things that I'm required to do in order to get permission to marry folks. It happens for everybody. You have to do, um, you know, premarital counseling and all the things, right? All the things. And so we did this beautiful wedding in this tiny little bar on six. It's OMG. John knows it. Uh, it's very tiny. <laughs> Um, and I mean, I think then I really realized that 
we had to bring the, the ritual when invited out into the community. And, uh, you know, the church is always there. We're all doing all those things. Um, I'm doing less of it now that I'm getting older in the church and sticking with the community, um, you know, as long as I can. Uh, And the importance of invitation, uh, being invited has been really important in my journey uh, and being in long-term relationships with folks. So, um, you know, I'm just the old lady hanging out and you know where to get me, right? Uh, and because the, I also maintain um, a relationship with my denomination, which, of course, is a challenge uh, at times and should be, I guess. Yeah. Right. Um, I have, you know, I have long term relationships in my denomination and in other faith um, established faith communities so that at least at the very least, I can be a listening ear and a resource for people. But um, being able to take those rituals out out into the community is really important. Yeah, thank you for lifting up the importance of invitation. Thank you for reminding us that the rituals don't, and, and Mark touched this too, the rituals don't have to be located at or look anything like uh, they might have previously. That's one of the gifts, I think, that I'm hearing that accompanying queer and drag artist community uh, can provide. Like, you know, the, the drag community oftentimes evangelizes uh, spiritual care providers, uh, evangelizes the church to be more and fuller uh, and all that uh, the divine, the great power around us, uh, in us, through us whatever we may conceive of the divine device. And I see that Zoe made it! Oh, Zoe, thank you. Luggage drama, you had airport drama, but you're still showing up. That, that, that's rock star character right there. Thank uh, you so, so much. Zoe, what did you share for uh, those of us either online or uh, here at the uh, summit? A little bit about your spiritual care vision uh, and context, like what what leads you to this, you know, incredible panel set? Um. Okay. Hello. I'm Zoe. I'm 22. I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Um. And yeah, I made it today. <laughs> I'm still taking a couple of deep breaths, but I still made it. My friend that I'm traveling with. Um, is waiting for my luggage still. I went to the hotel, threw something on, um, and we're here. So it still feels totally otherworldly to be looking at my phone right now because my laptop is with my friend. Um, But hello. (laughs) Um, I grew up in the Assemblies of God faith, in the um, Assemblies of God denomination. in the suburbs outside of Detroit, Michigan. And then from there, I went on to plant like two churches with my family. My family um, were oftentimes in leadership roles, but um, also sometimes pastoral roles. So that was really interesting um, to juggle in high school. Um, Like going to youth group and doing like 
church planting type activities, like outreach and stuff like that. Um, but above all else, it was definitely like a Pentecostal background. Um, and then I went off to college and I just thought about some things and thought about some of my opinions regarding um, what my past experience had been. Um, and that's when I said, you know what, I think I want to take some time away from anything and everything and really just figure out what I know unfallibly to be true. Um, so then that is kind of where my 20s took me. Um, and so we're still doing some learning. We're still doing some living. Um, but it's been really interesting. Um, and I would just love to point out that one of my favorite things that 22, that's a lame now, what that has taught me, has just been that, like, while I stepped away from the Christian denomination faith, it's so interesting to me how many of the things that I'm picking up to be, like, true for my own life and my own self, my own morality, how much is lining up. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm just a Zoe of my roots. <laughs> Thank you, Zoe. Uh, Zoe, I appreciate you sharing some of your narrative because one of the things I heard uh, struck me as common uh, within uh, the queer and drag community. Many of us uh, may have multi-religious belonging. Many of us maybe have stepped away from our traditions of origin because they have felt unsafe. Uh, we might be trying to dabble back with them again uh, at times when uh, they resonate or serve us. Or we might be looking only in other directions. Uh, I'm wondering if uh, anyone on the panel might speak a bit to you know, some of the common narratives that you have heard or experienced yourself amongst uh, the, the queer or drag uh, spiritual seeking communities. Yes, Rebel. So, I personally, my mother is Catholic, so I've been in the white Catholic church. My dad is a black Baptist, so I've been in the black Baptist church. I've very much experienced the similarities between them and the differences and sense of expression in each of them as well. Um, and their spirit definitely lives in different ways. The feeling is different. The feeling in this church is different. And I've known a lot of my own queer friends who have, you know, started out in the church very young and still feel a sense of like attachment to that spirit um, and at the same time understand that like that space, that context was, they were pushed out of it. And I, what I also see, and you know this is very evident in drag, um, I have a lot of friends that are musicians as well, those spaces become spaces of communion and of worship as well. I feel the way divinity moves from the flow of curation and the conversation between them and their fellow performers and the audience. And I've heard a lot of these amazing artists here speak of 
the experience of the hope energy when they're performing, they connect with the audience and how there's just nothing quite like it. And I think that we can find those pockets of worship with each other, with ourselves, sitting in a circle, gathered in these different ways. And I think each time we do it, it is a little bit different every time. Mm. Um, every connection, like every audience connection, is going to feel a little bit different. And I just love that sense of presence that you never quite know what exactly is going to come up, but it's up, it's there, there is. I was reading um, a book from the Emergent Strategy series mm -hmm. um, recently, and uh, there's a conversation that can only be had by the people in this room. Mm -hmm. And that's just so exciting. Thank you. Any other thoughts on uh, narratives uh, that perhaps we have heard commonly within the queer community in providing spiritual care, or ways that those uh, narratives might uh, move you to encourage other accompaniers of the drag community as they uh, think about their work? I'm looking for all the buttons. Um, I I know that uh, as I was growing up, I had a very, uh, very diverse experience with organized religion and religion in my family. Um, the, my father's side of the family um, were uh, angry, uh, angry Catholics who never went to church. And on my mother's side, they were Mormon, L LDS. And, but nobody was practicing anymore, right? Uh, but with a great history, uh, you know, the, the people in my family were attached to their religious origins in some kind of way that was meaningful for them, but not necessarily religious, right? Uh, and then my thought when I was nine, my father converted to Judaism to marry a woman that he loved. And so I went to Hebrew school and everything. I was like nine. Right. And and then when I was a teenager, I was a, a, an interfaith dabbler. I yeah, I just explored. I, I was lucky enough to go to a high school in San Francisco that had that kind of opportunity through their arts program, art history program at that time. And so I, I was always very interested in, um, in, in faith and religions of any kind. And when I finally, I guess probably I was, I have to think now in my thirties when I look, was looking for um, a, a spiritual home that I came kind of back to kind of an Anglo-Catholic style of worship. And um, that's how I made my home. And I find that when um, I'm doing pastoral care or being present in the community, especially, you know, after so many years, 
is that I get it, right? I can identify with a lot of journeys that folks have and a lot of styles. I don't like to use the word styles. Um, uh, um, expressions of worship that people have in their rituals and how sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't, like you said earlier, it doesn't have to look like um, what folks will expect. And I'm good to roll with it. You know, I'm, it's like, okay, I understand this. This is important. Uh, the beauty of the ritual, uh, the ritual of, you know, your family of origin, maybe, um, still has meaning and this all good. And so I feel I'm able to be comfortable with it, which is, I think pretty, I'm pretty happy with that. Thank you, Diana. Yes, it, the multiplicity of experiences that uh, we listen to as accompaniers uh, has stood out to me as well uh, because we are uh, many, many communities within the larger uh, queer community, uh, even queer communities, plural. Uh, and so there, there is uh, a way in which, um, oh, be ready for anything, right? Be ready for anything, uh, and every, every shade of anything. So, uh, Rebel, one of the things that Diana was bringing up that I'm starting to turn to you uh, to comment on some more was heritage, ancestors, uh, staying connected to an experience even amidst potential disconnections. Uh, and I'm wondering uh, if you have some commentary not only about sort of honoring heritage and ancestors, but even next generations um, with drag and uh, spirituality. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, with ancestors, it's what you don't like. You don't have to work with all of your ancestors. You just don't like. You don't have to honor and venerate people that do not honor you, have not done the work mm. in their journeys, mm. in order to support your own. Yes. So find the ancestors that do show up for you and invite them in and follow their practices. There are some ancestors that are very present for me. There are others that are distant. There are some that I have told that you have other descendants that you can work with. You can, you can find them. You can seek forgiveness through them. You can find healing through them. I'm, I'm not the descendant for you. I'm not it. And so, just as any relationship in this walking world, any relationship in on the, the other side of things, through the veil, spirit, um, the next world, however, um, you, whatever language that you use that affirms you, um, you can have boundaries in those relationships as well. You can ask for what you need, what doesn't work for you and please do you know you want they want to be with you 
just like for me, I want my descendants to be able to reach me. I want to be around them. I think all the time of like, when, when would they call me? Like as an ancestor, what do I represent? And the, the last conversation that was had up here, um, they mentioned the saints around you, the people, the queer people that you honor, that inspire you. Different saints have different like um, affinities. And so I think about what is my affinity as an ancestor? And I hope that my descendants call to me when they are seeking to embody their fullest selves, whether that is in a moment of bliss or terror or both. I want to be there. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, yes, so whether it was, you know, Diana's father converting to Judaism right before he died and uh, then going to Hebrew school or, uh, you know, calling in the ancestors, the ancestors trying to contact you. There are lots of different ways that our heritage uh, play into uh, how we grow or how we seek spiritual care. I appreciate uh, the varied awarenesses being brought. And Zoe's back, hooray! Uh, Zoe, you disappeared right when I was going to ask you a question, so I'm so glad you're back. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to be back. Oh, and so I just wanted to ask Zoe, as you have been emerging and exploring, you you are uh, a tribe artist. You have experience uh, doing ministry work. What are some of the things that you're discovering? Like, if there were someone who were coming up after you, what might be Zoe's you know one or two things to watch for that you want to to tell the next right queen growing up out of um, I would say, regardless of whoever you're ministering to, whoever is ministering beside you, one of the things that you have to keep at the forefront, I truly believe, is just like the spirit of individuality, the spirit of doing like what you should be doing, what you feel you should be doing. Um, and not necessarily whatever you want to do, but be yourself and don't let anybody take that away from you. Don't let any organization take that away from you. Don't let anybody on the outside in the audience take that away from you. Um, so I would say that for sure. Um, because there are definitely times when that's hard and there's definitely times where that's easy. Um, but I would say that through and through, time after time, it's important. Um... I would also say um, to remember that everyone's human um, and that we're here to spread and share love. Um, that's my biggest thing. Um, it's all about love. Life to me is all about love, giving the love, receiving the love, loving the love. Um, so yeah, I would say don't lose touch with the love because that's what's going to bring the fruits of everything else. 
Thank you so much. You uh, oh, and, and out again. Uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Coming in, coming in with the good word and <laughs> away again. Mark and Diana, one of the things that uh, yes, Mark. Yeah, yeah I, um, if I could just jump in because um, I'm one who um, had no experience with um, drag performance, had no experience, uh, my, my experience of the ballroom community was I saw Parrish's Burning, you know, when it first came out. I mean, I really was uh, being introduced to a whole new culture. And to those who are out there who are like me, who... Um, I don't know if if allies is an appropriate word sometimes um, or just find themselves um, encountering a culture that is different. You know, the church has such a horrible missionary reputation of forcing our ways on cultures that the church encounters. And if we have learned anything from global missions, you know, it's like back off and listen. And so um, I, I learned so much, um, you know, as, as I went and didn't, didn't make the priority of making it and having people fit into a certain box, into a certain liturgy or anything. But just, I just encourage people to really listen um, and, and stay as flexible as you possibly can. I know, especially those of us from liturgical backgrounds, we think of, oh, the liturgy is set. It's like, nah, the liturgy is this wonderful skeleton and we can hang all kinds of muscle and tissue and, and dresses and boas on that and, and make it look fabulous. Uh, just a real quick story. We were doing a memorial for a young person who was known as uh, a great uh, voguer and I didn't know this person, and and with these memorials, I would always let those who were who were who were celebrating the life plan it. I didn't force them to do anything. I didn't even have to be involved. I was just there. So they're they're talking on and on about what a reputation this person had as a voguer. And somebody came over and whispered to me and said, "Could we do a voguing tribute?" And I like looked and I said, "Well, of course. I mean, how could this be a celebration of this life?" without a voguing tribute. And suddenly at this memorial, um, a voguing tribute broke out with two people dancing and the rest of the house, it, uh, I think it was the House of Ebony, was was giving them a beat to dance. And oh my goodness, it was the most joyous. And I said, you know, I'm not known for voguing, but I'd like this to happen at my memorial. <laughs> Really, uh, sort of enlivened you as you were telling it, enlivened me hearing it. Uh, and I appreciate oh, the idea of a liturgy wearing a feather boa uh, with you on that. And yes, it's uh, the uh, ways in which we change. Right, as we engage with others, as we are in authentic community, authentic relationship with others. Uh, that's a question I have for each of the panelists. As you have engaged with 
the drag or the gender excessive expansive community what are ways that you and or your faith has changed oh diana i saw you take a deep breath Okie dokie. <laughs> so, you know, I was a person who was very, um, you know, I obviously I didn't grow up in any one church. Um, you know, I had a lot of experiences as a child and a teenager and an adult that I felt that I had to explain myself before I would I would say that I felt you know a lot of shame about my background and um, and as I developed you know as an adult and I did a lot of therapy believe me um, and uh, you know developed uh, and grew uh, in my role uh as a church going person. Um, and in my vocation, as I came to understand my vocation as a minister in the church, you know, I still carried some of that. You, when you go through a whole process and you're standing in front of, um, you know, a whole national organization and you just feel like this small, right? I'm this small. Um, and, and yet I, I went through it and I, I, you know, completed requirements. I didn't fudge. And, you know, what did I have to be ashamed about? It was just all me. Right. And when I began, um, my, uh, ministry was San Francisco night ministry. And, you know, I was walking on the, the first two years, uh, it was awesome because it was a paid fellowship. So I was walking on the street in the middle of the night, five nights a week. That's pretty consistent. You see me pretty consistently, uh, you know, in the bars and the nightclubs and on the streets. And um, I, that whole experience changed me. First of all, I wasn't supposed to be on the street. My grandmother would just, was rolling over in her grave or puffing in her urn or something Women were not supposed to be out in the middle of the night. You just didn't do that. And so I had to get over a lot of stuff. And, and then I, I was really in, um, began to have very strong family types of relationships. I was, you know, I was in, I can't remember how old I was when I started. I was in my fifties when I started. I look good, don't I? Anyway, I started in my 50s, so I was like a total late bloomer, and I started doing things that I had never done before, and I start, had to learn how to sit on a bar stool. Oh my God. Um, you know, you fall off of those and break a hip, um, but over the years, I have developed very long-term family type of relationships with folks as an elder. So I'm like walking into my elderhood and realizing that I'm doing that. Well, sometimes when people love you, 
they invite you to do certain things. And I work with the like the imperial court system and with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence a lot and help with their fundraisers because that's the concern of the community and their concerns become my concerns. That's part of being a family. And then they want me to do drag. (laughs) And that was really life-changing for me because now I have a lot of background as a young person in performing arts and teaching performing arts in schools. So this was just another layer of it. And to see, to have the joy of somebody that you've been in a relationship with for a long time, you know, you know what their day-to-day life is, you know what their sorrows and joys are, you know what they do for a living. And they're beating your face. (laughs) And um, and loaning you clothes and teaching you how to do the whole thing. It was so life-changing for me because in order to put that on, you have to let go of a lot of things. And, and you have to, I found that I was able to express parts of myself that I, that I longed to, and that the love that, that, I shared with folks, this was a part of that expression of love. And so, yeah, sometimes I, at invitation, will show up and do your fundraiser for you. Um, And it's really life, it has been life changing for me. And I think, John, you've been there a long time. Uh, I think we've worked together for at least 10 years around each other and with each other. Um, I think, I think that's true. So, yeah. Yes, thank you, Diana. And I know, Mark, you said you weren't part of the ballroom culture, but I've, I've judged a drag show with you, and you had, some, you had some criteria that you were asking for people to meet. So I know that you've been changed, too. Uh, as we move towards wrapping up, I'm wondering if there was uh, a thought, feeling, uh, an idea that emerged for any of you uh, that you would like to depart with. Uh, as far as your experiences providing care uh, for the drag artists and gender expressive expensive community. Well, um, if I, I'll also answer the, the last question about how it changed us and maybe also answer the question that you just asked. Um, yeah, it, it saddens me to hear uh, faith communities be so um, what strict so uh set up so many obstacles um be so uh, unwelcoming um because to me what has probably changed me the most is by growing in my understanding of the radical welcome of god then i myself am more welcomed into the presence of the divine. And it's sort of, you know, it's that um, if, if when you, not if, but when you show mercy, you will know mercy. And it just saddens me when people see, such, uh, see have an image of the divine that is so uh, limited and limiting. You know, the, the old f- phrase, your God is too small. 
Um, and I think when we appreciate the the all welcoming divine, then we ourselves grow in how we are we understand ourselves to be welcomed. We understand ourselves to be loved. We understand ourselves to be the recipient of infinite mercy. And um, so, you know, the, it, it's just, it, it, I, I, I stumbled into it, but it has had such a profound um, effect on, on me and, and my sense of my place in the divine. And, um, and in terms of Christian wording, in my place in God's family. So. Um, I, I just totally resonate with what you say. It's, um, you know, a space that you have to, you know, all of a sudden you under, you understand your place in, in, in God's big love. Right. And as ordained ministers, or, you know, if you're working in any area of the church, whether you're a lay leader or ordained, whatever, um, we're human beings with stuff, right? Like any other human being, we're no different. And uh, when you're, they, they do try to fit you into a box. They do. The, the, The institution does. And, you know, the institution, the people in the institution need healing. And I think, though, you know, we minister with no agenda, um, you know, we're supposed to empty ourselves and all this stuff. We are human beings. And um, I know for me, I, my experience with, with ministry in the drag community and the queer community has really, like you say, Mark, has really showed me that divine place and that, um, you know, I'm loved and accepted and, and, you know, and I, yeah, go ahead. I'm blathering. Don't don't blather. Thank you, Diana. Yes. Uh, One thing for all care providers to know is when they're blathering and to be quiet. But I especially want to give uh, Rebel the last word uh, in this panel because they've had to survive through uh, being with a whole bunch of callers. Uh, <laughs> so, Rebel, things, uh, anything that has struck you or that you would like to leave the audience talking? I would like to just say that I
the concepts. Uh, so thank you all. We will break now and uh, have a little bit to eat and then come back for our programming. Hi there, this is Bonnie Violet again. Thanks so much. We hope, really hope you enjoyed our panel discussion or the plenary or whatever part of the Dragon Spirituality Summit you just uh, listened to. We wanted to give a big shout out to a queer chaplain um, for um, hosting this event along with the Urban Village Church in Chicago. You can check out the links in the description to connect with each of those orgs um, and learn more about their work. Um, also, to continue to support the work of the Dragon Spirituality Podcast, um, feel free to also check out our Patreon, where you could contribute on a monthly basis to help support the work of this podcast, along with all the productions from A Queer Chaplain. Uh, thanks so much, and like I said, check out those links, and uh, show us some love, and uh, let us know what you think. Like, what do you enjoy? What What did you enjoy? Yeah. <laughs> What would you like to hear more of? Um, yeah, let us know. We'd love to hear from you and work in designing next year's Dragon Spirituality Summit 2023 to take place in San Francisco, California. Take care and be well. Bye-bye.